You know, for the past few weeks, we've been going through uh, the kind of the, a mini-series on the life of Elijah. And I think for me, as I've been kind of uh, looking through and, and researching and really thinking about it, I've always loved Elijah, uh, but as I've been able to kind of really research even more, man, I love Elijah. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of who he is, it reminds me of me, too. Um, and I think one of the things is that, man, the more and more I read about him, the more I feel like he's like, he's kind of crazy. You know, I kind of like that too. <laughs> he's, he's kind of emotionally up and down. He's not really perfect in any way. He's not someone that you would necessarily want to follow or necessarily even respect a lot of times. But like, he's, he's there. And, and he's experiencing all of these different things. And for me, as I was able to go through and study more, I realized that, man, even for Elijah, even for a prophet of God, even for a man who is able to hear the voice of God, he is so up and down. Because there are times when he is so on fire for the Lord. And he is boasting to every single person about how good God is, about how powerful God is. And yet in the very next chapter, you see that he is so in despair, that he is so, that he's so sad. And the thing is, when I look at my life, and when I think about just a lot of Christians in general, we have that same type of up and down that there are times when we are so spiritually in tune with God, when we come back from a retreat, when we come back from a revival, when we are really going deep into his word and we feel like we are so connected with the Lord, that we are almost hearing the voice of God. And yet, in just a few days, that can all crash down. And we are in complete despair. And so the question becomes, what are we supposed to do when we are so up and down? Because I can say, even for my life, I'd love to be able to say that, yes, I am not up and down. I, I am completely stable. That as a pastor, this is, I, I have been like a rock, you know, this entire time. But no, I, I have to be honest, that's not how I've been. That there are times when, yes, like I am so on fire for the Lord. And yes, I feel like this is exactly where God wants me to be and exactly what God wants me to do. And yet there are other times when I feel like, God, are, where are you right now? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? See, this is what Elijah was facing. And in this passage, we're going to see how God answers him. You know, last week we talked about this crazy contest that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal. And it was ridiculous. It was 450 prophets of Baal on one side. It was Elijah, one man on the other. They went to Mount Carmel. And if you think about that, you think about the biggest stage possible in front of the White House, at the mall, in front of thousands of other people. And one man prays to God. And in that moment, God answers and brings down fire. How crazy would that be? And in the same way back then, this was that story. 
Because in the face of thousands of spectators, in the face of the king and the queen, in in the face of the prophets of Baal, Elijah prays and God answers and brings down one of the craziest miracles you will ever see. You see, it was a a triumph that Elijah was waiting for after three and a half years of drought, after three and a half years of just famine and of suffering, Elijah prays and God answers. And so at the end of chapter 18, it says that Elijah began running to this place called Jezreel. Now, Jezreel at that time was the capital city. And so it's strange because for Elijah, at least, he knew that he was a wanted man. He knew that the king and the queen wanted him dead. He knew that at the moment he stepped into a place where the king and the queen were, into a place where there was a lot of government officials, that it would be most likely that he would die. And yet, for some reason, it says that he began running towards Jezreel. Now why? Why? See, the only logical explanation at that time was that he was so confident that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel would repent. See, he was so confident that the moment they saw the miracle, that the moment they saw all the stuff that happened, that the moment that God answered his prayer, that they would finally turn. And you know what, even if they didn't turn, those thousands of other spectators, those thousands of other Israelites, they saw. And they would remember what God had done. And they would remember what God was doing. And so they would overthrow the kingdom. And so Elijah, he went in full force, believing, trusting that things were going to change. But what happens? You see, in verse 2, it says that Jezebel sent a message. And it practically it said, I don't care what I saw. I have, I have no care in the world about what just happened. I just want you dead. And so Elijah, he's shocked. He doesn't understand. And so he turns around and runs away. And so he runs to this place called Mount Horeb. And in that place, he is so angry with God. You see, the people that he thought were going to change didn't change. The miracle that he wanted for so long, it happened. His prayer got answered. The thing that he was hoping for actually transpired, and yet the result, it didn't come out the way that he wanted. And so he calls out to God completely broken. He says, I don't know who you are, God. You know, Elijah, he's in depression in this moment. And it may sound hard to believe because just a chapter before, he was on top of the world. But you see, Elijah, he had these huge expectations for what God should do. And when God didn't meet those expectations, he became upset. 
And in verse 3, it says that Elijah, in fact, it says that he left. He says that uh, he told his servant to leave him. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but when it comes to a prophet of God, when a prophet of God tells their servant to leave them, what he's practically saying is, I'm done with the ministry. I'm done with my career. I'm done with doing this. I'm done with preaching. I'm done with teaching. I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I'm finished. And so Elijah, he was on the very edge of his life. He was at the very depths of despair. And so how does God approach him? You know, for us, we expect God to work in certain ways. And we expect God that if we go in this direction, that if we're dealing with this problem, that God would need to work in this specific way in order to answer it. And yet, time and time again, what we see as you continue to walk with the Lord is that he defies your every expectation. Because here we have the last prophet of that generation, a man who, is, who just asked to die, who is tired and upset. And you would think in that moment, the best thing that God would do is simply give him a word. Give him that voice. Give him something in that moment to revive him, to heal him. Because maybe that's something that we would want. And yet the first thing that God does is he cooks him food. <laughs> in verse 5, it says, The angel of the Lord touches him and says, Get up and eat. You know, there are so many Christians that uh, believe that every problem needs to be dealt in a certain way, that if you're depressed, that if you're having a hard time, then the solution is that you're not praying hard enough. That if you're really going through a hard time and you say that you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then it's because you're lacking faith. Or it's because something spiritually is wrong with you. And that's why you're having a hard time. You see, for a lot of people, they believe everything is spiritually correlated. But you see, the reality is that for Elijah, he had a physical body and that he was living in a physical world. And you see, look, prayer is good, but maybe in that moment is not prayer that Elijah needed. You see, sermons and godly advice are good, yes, but maybe in that moment is not a sermon or godly advice that Elijah needed. Maybe what you need in that moment of your life is a good steak dinner. Maybe in that moment in your life, maybe it's a good group of friends who can just be with you. Maybe in that moment, it's just a hug that you need, a touch. Someone to tell you that they care about you. Look, what I'm saying is that God, he could have done anything in that moment. He could have brought his voice. He could have sent a word. He could have done anything. And yet, the first thing he does to a man who wants to kill himself is he touches him and he gives him food. 
You know, a few years ago, I remember there was a weekly challenge for our life groups. And it was, had to do with something with, uh, do something nice for your other fellow life group member. And so people went around, they were talking, and um, some people, they asked for prayer, and that was good. Some people asked for, you know, advice, and that was good too. And for me at that time, I was going through, it, it was stressful. I, was, I had some things I was going through, and I was tired and, and, and all that stuff. And, and so I asked for one thing, cheesecake. <laughs> Literally, I, just, I asked for cheesecake, right? And so Kathy, who was in my life group at that time, made me probably the best cheesecake I have ever eaten in my life. And I asked her to pack it for me because I didn't want to share it. I wanted to eat it at home. <laughs> And I was, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I was, yeah, I just, I wanted to just eat it at home by myself, just enjoying the cheesecake, right? And maybe that sounds like weird and, and kind of lonely and stuff like that, but for me, that was perfect. In that moment, that was exactly what I needed. Because for me, I was listening to sermons. I was trying my best to pray. Everything felt dry. Everything felt off. And for me, for some reason, I just wanted something Sweet. <laughs> and what happened was that two things happened. Number one, it filled my physical craving, because that cheesecake was like so good. But secondly, I was able to see how much one person cared and loved me in that moment. That they're willing to take the time out of their schedule, to take the time out of what they're doing, and just make the most ornate and beautiful and delicious cheesecake that I've ever eaten. And for me, that, that filled me. And for me, at that moment, that was what I needed. For so many of us, we, are, we think so, I don't know, so black and white. That this is a spiritual problem. That this is only physical. That this is only... And, and I think we have to understand that God encompasses the entire body, and that includes the heart, that includes the mind, that includes the soul. And there are times when, yes, a sermon is needed, when prayer is needed, when those things are good. But there are also times when you can just spend time with someone, and just simply having a person next to you can lift you more than almost anything else. You see, church, what does it mean to be wise? You see, one of the characteristics of wisdom is discernment. And discernment is when everything looks the same, knowing which one is right. That when all paths, that when all problems, when all those things look the exact same, you see, an unwise person will guess and choose whichever one, but you see, a wise person will know exactly which one is right. When you have a problem, do you understand how to deal with it? When someone else is going through something difficult, do you just try to put a blanket solution over it? Oh, this worked for that person, and so this is probably going to work for them. Oh, for me, this is what worked last year, and so maybe this will work again. But what you're going to have to understand is that wisdom means that when you have a problem, that there are different solutions for that exact moment. And what we see is that God, he is a God of wisdom. That he is a wise, wise God. And so even when it comes to us, that even when it comes to his children, 
And we go through the same problem again and again. That we go through the same difficulties again and again. He meets us in our own particular way in that moment. And there are times when he brings fire. And there are times when he brings wind. But there are also times when he brings a whisper. And there are times when he just brings food. Because he knows you intimately. And so you see, the first thing that God does is treat Elijah physically. And the next thing God does as he sits down, as he sits down and listens to him. Because in verse 9, God, he asks Elijah a question. He says, what are you doing here? Now, when, when you read in the Bible about God asking a question, it's, it's never because he doesn't know. Right? Oh, what, what are you doing here? Like, well, he, that's never his intention. The reason why he asked the question is to simply have Elijah talk. The reason why he asked the question is because he desires to listen. And so for God, what he does next is he spends time just listening to Elijah. And it's kind of weird because Elijah spends a lot of time venting to God in frustration. Because in verse 10, he's practically saying, I did everything you asked me. I have been faithful to you. God, I have been zealous. I have done everything. But God, you weren't faithful to me. Because if I did everything right, and yet the results are like this, then one of us made a mistake, and that's not me. That means you messed up, God. And you see, within that, God doesn't say a single word. He just listens. And only after, he tells Elijah to stand on the mountain, because you see, in that moment then, Elijah needed to hear God's voice. And so for God, he did a three-step approach when it came to Elijah, when it came to a man who was depressed, when it came to a man who wanted to just simply kill himself. He met his needs physically first. Then he met his needs psychologically, mentally second. And next, he meets him spiritually. You see, on one side, there are people who believe that everything in this world is purely physical. And so when you're depressed, when you're sad, take medicine. That those things are what's going to heal you. That it's because of your upbringing, it's because of your genetics, it's because of these certain things that make you who you are in that way. And so you know what? You just have to take more medicine. And yet on the other side, or people who believe that everything is spiritual. And so everything that you are dealing with, every problem that you have is due to a lack of faith. It's because you're not praying hard enough. And you see, when you divide everything in that way, when you try to go in that one direction only, what you're doing is you're ignoring the complexities of the human being. And you will never truly be able to help anyone. Because when you think about how complex humans are, that we were made with all of those different things. We were made with a mind. We were made with a heart. We were made with a body and a soul. 
How can you ever approach just one method there and think that you can heal everything? You see, God, he made our mind, body, and soul, and so he knows exactly how to treat us. And for us, a lot of times, we're so boxed in to thinking a certain way that God should go in this certain direction when God is trying to do something so much bigger. And so after this, God, he tells Elijah to go to a cave in Mount Horeb. And what's interesting is that scholars, they say that it wasn't actually, like in translations it says a cave, but it's actually not really a cave. Uh, That's actually more of a a general term. Uh, What they said is that it's actually more like a hollow space that was within a rock. And so it was shallow, but it was just enough to protect Elijah. And afterwards, it says that God, he shows up in these different forms, that he comes as an earthquake, that he comes as wind, that he comes as fire, and finally he comes as a small whisper. And, you know, one thing that people misunderstand is that when they read the story, they'll say that, oh, look, look, it says that God isn't those things, that God isn't the fire, that God isn't the earthquake, that God isn't the wind. But you see, it's not that, it's that he wasn't in that then, but it's not that he's never in those things. For a lot of us, we think that God only speaks in one way. You see, God, he wasn't in those things, and so he only comes as a whisper. And yet we see in the Bible again and again that that's not true. God shows himself to Moses as a burning bush. God shows himself to Abraham as a burning torch. He shows himself to Job as wind and to Israel as an earthquake. He shows himself in these different ways. But the main point is that God, he could have shown himself as anything But in the end, he came as the most surprising way, as a low whisper. You see, what this means is that our plans are not God's plans. There are times when they match. There are times when we pray and God aligns our will with his. But more often than not, what God is trying to teach us is that we just simply need to trust in him even when we can't see him working. And so he's telling Elijah through all of of these things, he's saying, what makes you think I don't have a plan just because it's not your plan? You see, when we expect God to do things the way that we want, and it happens that way, all that does is it reinforces our own pride. It makes God smaller in our eyes, and it turns God into more of a genie than actually God. And you see, when our pride grows and our sin grows, and that that is the last thing that God wants. And so every time you want God to come as fire, he'll come as a whisper. And every time you want God to come as a whisper, he'll come as fire. God is a God who we cannot contain, who we cannot truly, fully understand. He is an untamed God. 
In Revelation 5, it says that Jesus is known as the Lion of Judah. He is a wild God. In other words, he's someone that we can't fully understand within the box that we can try to fit him into. But what we do know is that he is wise and that he loves us. And so finally, God, he comes as a low whisper and Elijah steps out. But what's interesting is that in verse 11, it says that, it says that God tells Elijah to come out, but it's only after all of the elements that Elijah actually steps out. It says that these three things, that the fire, the, mount, the earthquake, and the wind were so powerful that they were breaking apart the entire mountain. And yet what we see is that Elijah at the end steps out and is completely unscathed, that he's able to speak to the Lord. Why is that? It's because of the rock that was protecting him. You see, the rock that he was under, that shallow area that he was in, that rock, it took the beating. That rock, it took the burn. The rock, it took everything else so that Elijah wasn't scathed. For us, we believe that Jesus is the rock. We believe that we were supposed to go under that fire that we were supposed to go under that wind, that we were supposed to experience the judgment of God. And you see, fire, wind, and, earth, and the earthquake, those are other forms of judgment from God, and yet it doesn't touch Elijah. In the same way, we were supposed to experience the same thing, and yet in that moment, Jesus, he comes down and he covers us so that the wrath of God that was supposed to hit us, it hit him instead. And so for us, all we need to do is simply step out and hear the word of God. All that's waiting for us now is that low whisper of God just talking to us. Church, the, the only thing in your life that is truly and utterly meaningful is Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that will ever truly transform your life. You see, miracles will not change your life. We can pray for fire, we can pray for wind, we can pray for earthquakes, but miracles don't transform your soul. There are so many prayer requests that we have that I am praying for you as well that we have talked about before. And those things, yes, I want those things for you. And I want God to answer you in a powerful way that is undeniable. And yet those things are not meant to transform who you are. Those are only signs that are pointing to Jesus Christ. And so if we stop at the sign, then those things are meaningless. And we're going to go back and we're going to go into that cycle again where we go really up for God, and yet at the next moment, we're going to go really down. You see, the only thing in this life that will ever transform you is the word of God, is that low, gentle whisper. It's Jesus Christ. 
And yet for us, we pray so often for all of these miracles. Are you praying for Jesus? Are you praying to experience him more? Because it's those things, it's those things that will transform your life. That's the story of the gospel. That is what the gospel is. It's understanding that we are more sinful than we ever believed, but also more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen? Let's pray.